for joining us coming up on NTD Business. The IRS commissioner confirming the agency is hiring armed tax agents nationwide as part of President Biden's push to shore up enforcement. But the IRS says the agents are only for special circumstances. The chairman of the Federal Reserve is fooled by Russian pranksters posing as the Ukrainian president. The call is broadcast in Russia. Do digital medical devices have cybersecurity risks? They're sometimes used to regulate vital organs. So what happens when these devices are hacked? ExxonMobil reported bumper profits last quarter despite falling gas prices. What contributed to the record? You can now add horsepower to an EV Mercedes, but at a cost. Stay tuned for details. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us, Don Ma here. The stock market gained today. The Dow rose 272 points or 0.8 percent. S&P gained 34 points, also 0.8 percent, and the Nasdaq added 84 points or 0.7 percent. The IRS is hiring armed tax agents nationwide to bolster its criminal investigations division. It's part of the Biden administration's efforts to beef up enforcement with $80 billion in new funding. IRS Commissioner Danny Werfel confirmed the new hiring during a hearing yesterday, the House Ways and Means Committee. Werfel was responding to a question from a Nebraska congressman. His name was Adrian Smith. Werfel said the IRS will be hiring new armed agents, but clarified they're not for tax audits, but rather for criminal investigations. For example, like serious cases of fraud and tax evasion, in which cases the agents' lives could be in danger, according to Werfel. Here's that exchange. It's my understanding from a a communication I received from uh, your agency last fall that uh, criminal investigation plans to hire 360 special agents per year, per year over the next five years. That sounds about right. Our, uh, again, w- criminal investigation division, which deals with um, fraud and significant cases of tax correct. Evasion. And those They're special agents put, are put their armed. Own, okay. Those special agents are armed. Is that correct? They are armed. It's less and than three percent of the IRS work. And they, now you said earlier that you're not hiring any new special agents that will be armed, but it sounds to me like you are. Well, that, my understanding, I'm glad you're clarifying, my understanding of the question was around audits. Our CI division, our criminal investigation division, they do not conduct audits. What they do is they uh, are uh, investigating acute issues of fraud and and, and a tax evasion, uh, and typically they're armed when they're putting themselves in, in danger. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell thought he was talking to Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky, but it was all just a call from a couple of Russian pranksters. Video of the prank was shown on Russian state television. The video clips show Powell answering a range of questions posed by the fake Zelensky. A Fed spokesperson says it was a friendly conversation that took place in the context of supporting the Ukrainian people and that no sensitive or confidential information was discussed. The Fed says the video appears to have been edited and parts could be false. The pro-Putin prankster duel have been making successful international prank calls to officials for years. After the Powell call, the pair talked about it on Russian social media, including with commentary by the Russian arms dealer released from a U.S. prison last year. The FDA has issued new guidelines for medical device cybersecurity. It requires new medical device applicants to submit a plan to monitor and address cybersecurity issues. 
2022 FBI report cited research that found 53% of digital medical devices in hospitals have known vulnerabilities. And these could leave them susceptible to cyber attacks that could endanger patients' health. The new requirements went into effect as part of a federal spending bill signed by President Biden. And now to talk to us about the guidelines and the vulnerabilities is Derek Giorgino, NTD contributor and healthcare risk consultant. Now, on this topic, what worries you, Derek? Well, Don, we live in a different age today, and I know that's kind of a cliche line to throw out there, but we live in really the age of what people call the Internet of Things, right? That means items in our everyday life, including medical devices, including implantable medical devices, are more and more commonly networked or connected to the Internet. This inherently drives cybersecurity risk issues for healthcare providers administering the device and obviously for these medical device manufacturers that produce them. We're talking about insulin pumps, blood sugar monitors, uh, pacemakers that regulate a human being's heartbeat, right, that could potentially have and have had cybersecurity vulnerabilities for more than several years now. Um, and so, you know, on March 29th, the FDA came out with some guidance, as you know, uh, for medical device manufacturers that is going to require uh, them to abide by certain disclosure requirements and to provide a degree of reasonable assurance that new medical devices being manufactured uh, are cyber secure. Uh, in terms of what concerns me personally, well, I've been a healthcare patient in the past. If you've been to a hospital lately, you see all these devices around you in the emergency room or elsewhere, and they're all network connected. And many of them house protected health information, right? And many of them have uh, other forms of sensitive information that you don't want to be exploited by threat actors in the cyber world. But aside from that, it's really patient safety. If you have loved ones that have uh, smart medical devices implanted inside of them, or even diabetes monitors and blood sugar monitors, uh, when exploited by bad actors, those can really do um, unheard of uh, havoc on our patient population. So it's a direct threat to patient safety. It's a direct threat to the personal information of the patient population. Um, and this is essentially why the FDA has finally, perhaps uh, a little late coming here, uh, reacted to it and issued this guidance. Cybersecurity vulnerabilities in this space is a little bit different in other spaces. We're talking about healthcare. People's lives are on the line. It's, it's not like a data leak where potentially nobody could actually die from that. So this is very different. You mentioned bad actors. What kind of bad actors are we talking about? Well, I think one could even argue that this particular issue, Don, could be a matter of national security. You can look into it. It was widely publicized. But in 2017, there was a prominent medical device manufacturer that acquired a pacemaker from another company and recently after acquiring it, discovered that there were cyber vulnerabilities that could be exploited by threat actors to literally modify pace commands of the device that is on someone's heart. Okay. And when you think about national security and think about cyber terrorists, if a device like that is exploited and it happens to be implanted in the hearts of thousands of Americans, what does that mean? You tell me. Aside from information compromise, what does that mean? I mean, it is a direct mortal threat to patient safety in some cases. And so uh, generally, being a free market uh, economist, so to say, I'm generally opposed to ubiquitous, exorbitant, or superfluous government regulations on the private sector. 
I think that one could argue that this is a matter of national security when you have some of these devices implanted into into the hearts and bodies of thousands of Americans uh, and people really around the world too. So um, from my end, I think it's prudent of the FDA um, to respond in this way, not to mention that uh, the Health and Human Services Office of Inspector General had called out the FDA, I believe in 2018 or so, um, citing that they were not doing enough to address cybersecurity risks in the medical device industry. So now fast forward to 2023, four or five years later, and now they're finally responding. I think it's a bit late, but I think it's prudent, and I think it's a good start. Yeah, I mean, Derek, as you mentioned, there's thousands of these devices out there, and I'm glad as well that you brought this topic up. I think that's all the time we have today for this interview, but we hope uh, we can speak again in the future. Absolutely. Thanks for having me again, Don. Look forward to coming back. FBI Director Christopher Wray says the U.S. is falling behind in a cyber war with the Chinese Communist Party. He testified before a House panel yesterday. Wray says hackers from the Chinese regime outnumber U.S. cyber specialists by 50 to 1. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more from yesterday's hearing. Ray defended President Biden's 2024 budget request in his testimony before the House Appropriations Committee on Thursday. We will put those critical resources towards ensuring the FBI remains the world's premier cyber investigative agency. The GOP debt limit bill passed in the House would cut FBI funding by 22 percent. Ray says the cut would mean scores of threats from the Chinese Communist Party or CCP go unaddressed. And I can assure you the Chinese government is not dialing back. Ray says FBI investigations into the CCP and their actors have increased by over 1,300 percent. He says the FBI blocks around 15 million cyber attacks on U.S. infrastructure every week. Ray argued the 22 percent cut being proposed by Republicans would further benefit the CCP's cyber dominance. And the FBI director says it's not just the Chinese regime that poses a challenge in cyberspace. Countries like Russia, Iran, and North Korea. <clears throat> and it is getting more and more challenging to discern where the nation-state threat ends and the cyber criminal threat begins. Many Republicans have expressed concerns that the FBI has become more partisan in recent years and accused the agency of focusing on targeting Democrats' political enemies instead of prioritizing the protection of American citizens. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. ExxonMobil today reported a record first quarter profit that was more than double what it was a year ago. Net profit rose to $11.4 billion compared to $5.5 billion just a year ago. That included the $3.4 billion after-tax write-down to exit Russia. Exxon's oil and gas production rose to its highest level since 2019. The company pumped out 3.8 million barrels of oil equivalent per day. It's up from 160,000 in the previous quarter. Q1 results also reflected the expansion of Exxon's fuel production. The company finished a new crude processing unit last quarter at its Beaumont, Texas plant. The new facility allowed an additional 250,000 barrels per day of oil refining capacity. Shares of ExxonMobil closed at 1834, up 1.3%. Automakers have begun offering vehicle options like navigation assistance and heated seats through subscription services. Mercedes-Benz is now offering a subscription to more horsepower as well. NTD's Sean Marshall has more. If you own an electric Mercedes in North America and want a little more power and speed, 
You can now buy 60 horsepower for $60 a month or on other models, 80 horsepower for $90 a month. The added power will provide a nearly one second decrease in zero to 60 acceleration. Being available through an over-the-air software patch, you won't have to go to a Mercedes dealer to get the upgrade either, or even leave your own driveway. I spoke with car expert Lauren Fix for the consumer's perspective. What we're finding is a big pushback from consumers when you try to charge them for heated seats or using sync on their climate control. Uh, there was a recent Reddit post that someone with an Audi pressed a button for sync, just regular, like get the two climate sides together. And it said you did not subscribe to this service. That makes people angry, especially when the controls are there, the buttons are there, but you can't use them. Mercedes is not alone in offering upgrades or even new features through over-the-air updates. They're similar to the software updates and functions that can be added onto phones. Tesla's offered additional driving assistance features and even added range through software downloads. Tesla did this originally, but Tesla did it because they're a tech company. They don't list themselves as a car company. So if you're listing yourself as a car company and you're making electric cars, they're not making money on electric vehicles. So they're trying to make it up on subscription fees. And they believe, the car industry believes, there's a billion dollars of untapped money by charging people for services they may want. Buyers can bypass the monthly subscription completely, however, and opt for an annual subscription payment or simply pay a one-time flat fee. For example, an all-wheel drive Mercedes-Benz EQE 350 sedan can go from 288 horsepower to 348 permanently for $1,950. Sean Marshall, NTD News. Intel has recorded its biggest quarterly loss in the entire history of the company. It lost a whopping $2.8 billion. But at the same time, Intel stock skyrocketed after the news, and it remained high. Why? We explore a little bit. Intel's primary business is making semiconductor chips. These chips are small electronic components that are crucial for a wide range of modern technology, like computers, phones, cars, and weapon systems. The total market for this massive industry is expected to grow. Analysts expect it to hit $1 trillion by 2030. So in such a high demand market, why did Intel have such a down quarter in the first place? Modern technology for sure isn't going away anytime soon. So it's in large part, it's because of personal computer sales being down dramatically by 29% year over year, according to International Data Corp. A large portion of Intel's chips go into personal computers or PCs, over 60% in the previous quarter, according to Statista. Intel doesn't make its own PCs. It creates the chips, which it sends to PC makers like HP, Dell, Acer, and Lenovo. Before the COVID lockdowns, people bought a lot of PCs. They were stuck at home, and now that trend could be reversing. But despite this, CEO Pat Gelsinger is optimistic. He expects PC sales to rise. We are seeing increasing stability in the PC market with inventory corrections largely proceeding as we had expected. As we anticipated on our Q4 earnings call, the PC market depleted a significant amount of inventory in Q1 and is tracking to be at a healthy level by the end of Q2. Importantly, the PC install base is larger and usage remains well above pre-pandemic levels. And aside from lower PC demand, Intel also suffered from low demand in its cloud and enterprise business. It doesn't explain why, but it's likely related to the economic environment and fierce competition. 
But even if PC demand came back, why would that cause Intel stock to skyrocket? It's impossible to read the minds of investors, but Intel did lay out a strategy for coming back. One core part is their IDM 2.0 strategy. IDM stands for Integrated Device Manufacturing, referring to Intel's chips. Currently, Intel is behind competitors Samsung and TSMC in chip manufacturing, and it's executing on plans to catch up. For example, right now, Intel only makes its own chips. In other words, it only makes the chips that it itself has designed and is trying to transition into making other companies' chips as well. For example, chip designer NVIDIA is using chip maker TSMC to make its chips. Intel is working towards also providing those services and becoming a major foundry player in the industry. CEO Pat Gelsinger reminded investors that this industry is growing. We continue to accelerate our transformation and position ourselves to capture the significant market growth in semis expected over the next decade, nearly doubling to more than one trillion by 2030. Combined with the need for globally balanced and resilient supply chains and a foundry market expected to be roughly 200 billion by 2030, we are well positioned to capitalize on multiple vectors of growth. And another reason for its stock rising is AI. Intel is working hard to make AI more accessible through its Xeon processors. AI programs need processing power, which computer chips deliver. For example, ChatGPT is powered by NVIDIA chips, and Intel has its Xeon processors. Intel's fourth generation of Xeon processors has the most built-in accelerators of any processing unit on the market. This, this makes them very good for powering AI. Intel believes this will give it an edge over competitors. Meanwhile, Intel expects to make between $11.5 and $12.5 billion in revenue next quarter, similar to the amount it made this quarter. It also sees modest recovery in PC demand. We'll take a break now, but if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please email us at business at ntd.com. Still to come, Amazon announces far better than expected profits for its first quarter as it lays off thousands of workers. And an insider tells us that there's no real weakness in the labor market. This comes as the Fed predicts a recession this year. That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. The start of 2023 has been good for online retailer Amazon but not as good for thousands of its workers. The e-commerce giant reported a profit of $3.2 billion in its first quarter. It's a huge jump from the losses it took a year ago and far exceeded analysts' expectations. Amazon predicts the year will only get better for it. The news comes as Amazon lays off thousands of workers as it ramps up cost-cutting measures. Back in March, Amazon said it would cut 9,000 jobs after it said in January that it was eliminating some 18,000 positions. But despite all the layoff news we are hearing right now, it appears the labor market remains pretty tight. Data from the Labor Department today showed that wage growth increased faster than expected in the first quarter. It's good news for employees struggling to keep up with elevated prices, but challenging for a central bank that's been trying to wrestle inflation down to an annual rate of 2%. It currently stands at 4.6%, according to March data out today from the Commerce Department. That number, known as the core PCE, was basically unchanged from the month before, a sign of how sticky inflation continues to be. 
For a closer look on the labor market, we speak with someone who has a front seat view of the state of hiring. And joining us is Morningside Evaluations Managing Partner Joshua Eisen. Now, I understand you do background checks for companies uh, that are hiring, so I would imagine uh, you have a pretty good view of the hiring situation. Maybe to start off, why is the labor market so tight? I wonder if you can help us with understanding that. Well, it really depends in what part of the labor market, but very often mar labor markets tighten when the specific skill sets that are required are just not available. And I'm actually returning from a conference in Washington, D.C. of immigration lawyers, and there's a tremendous lack of engineers, doctors, nurses, really professionals in the United States. And this year, there's a visa called the H-1B, which is for people who have college degrees. Every year, there's 65,000 H-1Bs available for people with a bachelor's degree. In 1998, less than 50,000 people applied for that visa. 25 years later, 750,000 people put their name in the lottery for the visa because there's so many people, you don't even apply. You put your name in the lottery on April 1, and you wait if you win the lottery, and 65,000 lucky people, but really companies, because these are companies that are applying for them. So uh, the market is uh, the... Yeah, the market is, um, there, there are places in the market where there are a tremendous amount of jobs, and just Americans lack those skill sets, as you can see. Like, every single one of those 750,000 people were sponsored by an American company that needed that specific skill set. A civil engineer, a nurse, a doctor, a computer scientist. We're talking about the strength of the labor market. I wonder if... If you see any weakness in any sector within the labor market at all in terms of hiring, any weakness? Maybe you're seeing a little bit, some weakening in some construction areas, areas like that where there was a little bit of a boom and the pricing was very high. And now, uh, now there's a little bit of a less of a demand for new construction or for people who are buying homes and doing add-ons. Like a lot of that, I think that's where the interest rates hit first, right? A lot of the building. You know, somebody buys a home, two years ago, they could borrow an extra $200,000 at 3 or 4%. Now that same money costs 8% for construction loan, double. So the, the victim there is the, the construction worker and the contracting company. Well, all right. I don't want to take any more of your time, Josh, but thank you so much for speaking with me today. I appreciate your time. Thank you. We'll take a break now. The South Korean president sings the famous song American Pie to a cheering crowd at the White House. And what did the original singer himself think of the performance? We'll have that story coming up on NTD Business. And welcome back. South Korean President Yoon Suk-yeol received a standing ovation at the White House on Wednesday after seeing Don McLean's American Pie to a cheering crowd. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on the performance. The surprise performance occurred at a White House state dinner on Wednesday evening. President Joe Biden prompted Yoon to sing Don McLean's classic song after he learned it was his favorite tune. I can't remember if I tried when I... Rather bowries with O'Brien, something touched me deep inside the day the music died. 
The singer-songwriter had this to say to CNN. Well, I'll tell you, it has a melody, which is something that is pretty hard to find these days. And uh, that's just the opening part of the song. I mean, the song uh, is eight and a half minutes, and uh, it's a rock and roll song. Biden was impressed by his performance. He went on to present Yoon with a guitar bearing the signature of Don McLean himself. I get a kick out of the fact that the song is still alive. Music is live. We're, musicians are dealing with a thing called alchemy. We deal in magic. Yoon's performance came after a day of talks with Biden. Their meeting covered issues including North Korea, semiconductor chips, trade, and the war in Ukraine. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. And before we go, we have some big news to share with you. After almost three years and nearly 700 shows, this will be the last episode of NTD Business. But don't worry, I'm not going anywhere. I'll continue to bring you the latest business and economic news throughout the day in different programs. Over the next several months, NTD will be making a lot of exciting changes that I'm personally thrilled to be a part of, and we're sure you're going to be too. Please continue to follow me and the rest of the NTD's team over at ntd.com and our main NTD YouTube channel. So stay tuned and see you soon.